Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Now, I'm going to show you in Acts chapter 1 how we interpret the book of Acts through the lens of the book of the gospel according to Luke. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, the former treaties which I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Can you say this with me? Everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Okay, everything he began to do speaks of his deeds, speaks of his miracles, speaks of his works, and teach is his message. Everything Jesus of Nazareth began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Now watch this, saints. I want you to see it. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles unto whom he had chosen. So obviously the Bible is telling us that after Jesus was taken up into heaven, that through the Holy Ghost, Jesus is still teaching today, but through the Holy Ghost and Jesus is still doing today. He is doing and he is teaching, but he is in heaven but he is alive. Hallelujah. He showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. Verse three says, so we understand that Jesus, his ministry is continuing. Now, the reason I want you to see the, the, the concept here in verse two, until he was taken up. If we go to Luke chapter 24, verse 50, I want you to see Luke's gospel is the only gospel that ends with the ascension. And there is a reason that the book of Acts begins with the ascension because Luke is the author of Acts and Luke is also the author of his gospel so that we see that Luke is telling us that Acts is a continuation from the book of the gospel according to Luke. I hope somebody's hearing this. Are you getting this? Okay, Luke chapter one, chapter 24 verse 50 says, and he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. That is the ascension of our Lord. Luke's gospel ends with the ascension and the book of Acts written by Luke begins with the ascension. Notice it. Going back to Luke, uh, Acts chapter one, uh, looking at verse Looking at uh, verse one, everything until he was taken up, the Bible says taken up means the ascension. And the Bible also says in verse nine, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Notice how Luke ends with the ascension and he begins acts with the ascension. This is extremely essential. 
so that we understand that Luke does not want us to begin the book of Acts without connecting to his gospel. Are you seeing that? He wants us to begin the book of Acts through the lens of his gospel. And this is extremely important because if you begin his gospel, you are going to see that in chapters one through four, he is going to make nine references that are exact references that are used on the day of Pentecost or also to explain what baptism in the spirit is. So that we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, uh, and let's go there just for a moment. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Luke is telling us what is going to happen when a person experiences baptism in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Say this with me. You will receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Hallelujah. Say this with me. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. Say it again. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. And I want you to see in Acts chapter 2 verse 4 in the upper room, there is language. I'm, we're paying attention to the language. Why are we looking at this language that many of us already know in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and Acts chapter 2 verse 4? Because you are going to see the very sentences that are used in Acts 1 8 and in Acts 2 4 in the beginning of the gospel. Nine different times you are going to see it in the beginning of the gospel according to Luke. And there is a reason for it. All right, let's look at Acts 2 4. And what I want to show you is the phrase filled with the Holy Ghost. Say it with me filled with the Holy Ghost. Say it again filled with the Holy Ghost. All right. So the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. So we have seen two uh, illustrations in the word of God that actually define what baptism in the Holy Spirit is. Number one, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Correct? And we also saw they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, but the emphasis is they were all filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts 2, 4. And the emphasis is in Acts 1, 8, you will receive power. Got that? When the Holy Ghost comes upon you. All right, let's go to Luke's gospel. And we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, we are going to see in the beginning of his gospel, because the beginning of the gospel, Luke is going to do something. Luke is going to show us what it means to truly be baptized in the spirit. Luke is going to show us the miraculous manifestations of the spirit of God when he comes upon an individual. We, for those of us who have been baptized in the spirit, some of us may not understand the magnitude of the work of the spirit that we have received when we receive the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? And so therefore our, our only, our only understanding scripturally, 
Was baptism in the Holy Ghost is Acts 2, 4. The Bible says they were in the upper room. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like as a mighty rushing wind. And the Bible says, hallelujah. And behold, cloven tongues of fire sat upon each of them. And the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that's it. That's all we know. We know nothing else about the baptism in the spirit. But Luke is going to show us through the phrases that he uses in Acts 1.8 and that he uses in Acts 2.4. He is going to repeat those phrases in the gospel according to Luke and show us the multiple manifestations of the work of the spirit that comes in a life when a life is baptized in the Holy Ghost. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Notice the last line of verse 15. Notice it says, speaking of John the Baptist, this is the prophecy of John the Baptist's life. Notice how the narrative ends. He shall be what? He shall be what? Everyone say it together. He shall be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that the same language that you saw in Acts 2.4? Turn to your neighbor and say, I saw that very phrase in Acts 2.4. When they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. Okay, but notice, John the Baptist isn't speaking in tongues, but he's filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. So what is Luke telling us? Luke is telling us that one of the works of the Spirit of God is to sanctify the believer. One of the works of the Holy Ghost, when you become baptized in the Spirit, because he's using baptism in the Spirit language here, that to be baptized in the Spirit means to be set apart, means consecration and separation that's not from this world, but is from the power of God. It is a work of the Spirit of God, and somebody ought to say amen. All right, let's continue in the context. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Say this with me. We're looking at this systematically. Okay, what do we mean by that? That means we're beginning in Luke 1 and we're going through systematically, itemizing each detail of the scripture that is using baptism in the spirit language. How many of you want to see the multiple manifestations of baptism in the spirit? All right, let's look at Luke 1.35. Notice here, the Bible says, and the angel answered and said, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Where have we heard these words before? The Holy Ghost will come upon you and the power will overshadow you. Compare it to Acts 1.8. Look at Acts 1.8. What does it say? It says you will receive power and notice the language. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. Say this with me. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you. How many of you see the same language? Raise your hand. 
So the same language is showing us that the miracle that happened in Mary, that, that the spirit of God overshadowing her and the miracle that happened in her and in her womb. God is saying that it happened through the power of the spirit of God. That means what was happening in her was impossible. Hello, I said it was impossible. So Luke is showing us when you're baptized in the spirit, you are going to be used in the impossible. To be baptized in the spirit means to go forth and do the impossible. Are you with me, saints? Say this with me right now. Come on, say this with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to offer myself to you to go wherever you want me to go, to do whatever you want me to do. Say this with me. Nothing will hold me back. I'm not going to look at what I have or don't have. I'm not going to look at who's with me or not with me. I'm not going to look at how much money I have or don't have. I'm not going to even look at my health. Hello. I said we're not even going to look at our health. I hope you heard me. I said we're not even going to look at our health. We're just going to do what God called us to do and trust God. Hello, somebody. I said we're going to trust God. Now, let me just tell you something. To by, by what I mean by that. You say, Dr. Crell, isn't that a little unscriptural to go and just do, don't you want to just wait till the Lord heals you? Then you go. You know, in Philippians chapter two, there was a young man by the name of Epaphrodites. Let's go there just for a minute. Philippians chapter two, looking at verse 25, I want you to see. Epaphrodites, Paul is bragging in the church to the church at Philippi at some of the believers for their way of service of God. He's so excited about it. And the Bible tells us, hallelujah, in Acts, excuse me, Philippians chapter two, let's go there as quickly as we can. Philippians chapter two, and I'll just turn to it quickly because this is not in my notes, nor is it part of the agenda, but it's a Holy Ghost agenda. Hello, I said it's a Holy Ghost agenda. And the Bible says, hallelujah, looking at verse 25, I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother, companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger. Wow, he wore a lot of hats. Look at all of his hats. He's a brother. He's a companion in labor. Did you know that all throughout the New Testament, we find those who were part of Paul's team, you know what their nickname was? Laborer. Okay? I'm not talking about just somebody who traveled. I'm talking about somebody who labored. There's a little bit difference than a worker than a laborer. Hello, I said there's difference between a worker and a laborer. Today we are lacking laborers. Jesus said to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send what? Laborers into the field. 
Laborers are those who are going to labor and not be not be all thrown out of loop if they get asked to do something that is just a little bit tiring. Laborers are those that are going to go out of their way to serve the gospel and be joyful about it because they're doing it to win souls. Hello, somebody. Laborers are those that are not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're willing to do anything. Laborers will even risk their lives for the gospel. Let me tell you something. Serving the Lord child of God is an adventure. And if your life is a boring, dragged out thing, just, oh, God, I can't believe it. I got to serve the Lord again today. Jesus, give me grace. Help us. It should be, praise God, what am I going to do today for the Lord? God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I'm willing to lay my life down. All right, so things are a little difficult. Praise the Lord. I don't mind it. I'm not intimidated by a little bit of trouble because Jesus went through a lot of trouble for me to go to the cross. I don't know where we got this thing about no more laboring, but I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. That means he's a prayer warrior and he went through some battles. Hello, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you're going to preach the gospel, if you're going to go forward and do the Lord's work, come on, tell your neighbor. Say, get ready for warfare and don't be a coward. Come on, get ready for warfare. Come on, get ready for warfare and don't be a coward. Did you hear me? Papa's got a big smile on his face because he's been fighting the devil for over 50 years. Hello, somebody. Did you hear what I said? Hallelujah. Fellow, let, fellow soldier and messenger in that he ministered to my wants. Notice the next verse, verse 26. For he longed after you all. That means there was genuine agape. Isn't it something when we get together, not because of who's speaking? Isn't it something when we get together, not because the worship's so great, which is good. We need to do that. But not because of who's speaking or who's going to be there. Somebody I really love. All my friends are going to be there. No, but that we get together because we get to be with each other. Hello, I said we get to get together because we're with the body of Christ. We're with brothers. We're with sisters. We're with those who love us. We're with those who care about us. Hello, somebody. We're with friends. We're with family. We're with those that are going to lay their lives down for us. When we go through trials, we're not going to go through the trials alone. We have one another. Hallelujah. We will break out of this box. All right. So he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you heard he was sick. Verse 27, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. Nigh unto death. He was sick nigh unto death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now watch this, verse 28. Verse 28 says, I sent him to you, therefore, more carefully, so that when you see him, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Verse 29, therefore, receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such a one in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, I want you to understand how highly Paul considers the work of Christ and those who are laborers who have laid down their lives in order for the work of Christ not to suffer any kind of tribulation or lack. For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. Wow, that wouldn't go up good in today's social life. They'd be saying, wait a minute. You're not regarding your life. You need to take care of yourself, Epaphrodites. You shouldn't be out there when you're not feeling well. Go home and take your temperature. Go home and just, you know, ask the Lord to heal you. He'll, he'll forgive you. You don't need to, to go and serve the Lord in your condition. Not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. I know that sounds a little strange and it sounds almost cruel to some folk. But in reality, it was a blessing for Epaphrodotus. You know why? Because he was nigh unto death and he, for, he just went and he just called on the grace of God to do it, and guess what? He was healed. I said he got healed by doing it because when you serve God under the anointing, you see, you can't do service to God and not be under the anointing. So when you're serving under the anointing, the anointing that you're serving with breaks the yoke. So that while you're in the midst of being a little bit sick, still serving God, I'm not talking about the kind of sickness where you're going to infect somebody, but I'm talking about what Epaphrodites did. I'm just telling you right here, you can't change the, I'm sorry, you can't tamper with the text. That's what it says. He said, for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. Now watch this. To supply your lack of service toward me. You know what that means? That means somebody that was healthy was called to do the job and they flaked out. So Epaphrodites said, I'll just do it. I'll go, and they're saying, but you're sick. You're not feeling well, Epaphrodites. But Epaphrodites did it. Do y'all see that, saints? Only the love of God, not because of compulsion, not because of getting a little brownie point, not because of works, because of love. You see, this world doesn't understand the agape in the body of Christ. Are you seeing this? The word agape is taken from the Greek word agapatos. And agapatos means to prefer. Say this with me. Agapatos means to prefer. So that means that my choices, when I prefer someone else above myself, I'm walking in agape. Hello, I said, that's how we're walking in agape. All right, so getting back, 
beloved saints to the works of the spirit that we are seeing here in the book of Acts. We are seeing here that the Bible is telling us you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts chapter one, verse eight. And we are seeing the spiritually synonymous words being used by the angel Gabriel to Mary. Hallelujah. It says uh, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And Luke 135, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So now he is showing us nothing is impossible with God. When you are baptized in the spirit, you are baptized into the impossible. You say, Dr. Corral really proved that to me. The word that is used here for power is dunamis. You will receive dunamis. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Dunamis means to make something possible. I said dunamis means to make something possible. Dunamis means to be able. Somebody ought to say, I'm going to be able to do it. No weapon formed against me can stop me. Say this with me. Nobody, nobody's words, nobody's actions, no uh, attack from demonic spirits, no uh, attack against my mind, against your body, against your family, against your car, against your business can stop you from serving God. The Holy Ghost will come upon you and the power. Say this with me. I want the power tonight. I want dunamis power. Say it. Come on. I want dunamis power. Dunamis power means you're going to be made able. Say this with me. That means nothing's impossible to me. Say this with me. I'm unstoppable. I'm going to be able to do what God asked me to do. And God's going to do it because he's faithful. That promised and he will also do it. Somebody ought to shout the victory today and give God the glory. All right, let's see another phrase in Luke's gospel that shows us what baptism in the spirit is. Go with me. We saw Luke chapter one. We saw verse 15. We saw filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. We saw Luke chapter one, verse 35, power come upon you. We saw that compared in context to Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now we're going to go to Luke chapter one, verse 41, and we're going to see, hallelujah, that there are revelations by the Spirit of God from being filled with the Spirit of God. There is going to be a knowledge that God is going to give to you that you don't have in the natural. All right. I knew somebody many years ago. Her name was Teresa Fox. She was a little angel from India. She came here from this country and she was illiterate. And she wanted to read the Bible so desperately she, she didn't know how to read. She tried to learn to read and she just couldn't. She went to sleep one night. She had a dream. And in her language, overnight, the Lord taught her how to read. When she got up in the morning, she was reading the Bible. Hello, somebody. I said the Lord in her dream taught her how to read. I said the Lord in her dream taught her how to read. 
somebody ought to say nothing's impossible with God. See, when you are baptized in the spirit, God will give you a certain type of knowledge that doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from man. The Bible says, and it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, watch this, was filled with the Holy Ghost. Didn't you just see that used in Acts chapter 2, verse 4? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So what now is the next miraculous manifestation of being filled with the Holy Ghost? She received a certain kind of knowledge. You know what that knowledge was? Nobody told her that Mary was pregnant. Nobody told her. Nobody told her that she's a mother and the Messiah. Nobody. But Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Ghost had a word of knowledge. I said she had a word of knowledge. I said she had a word of knowledge. Being filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. A property, a power, a, a, a property of power that has to do with the prophetic gifts of the spirit word of knowledge is a very powerful gift and it identifies. That means you just look at somebody and you just see what they already got. You know, um, last night, can I tell the testimony, sweetie? She came in. Well, uh, the glory was already in our room last night because that rabbi was on the TV and, and Denise walked in after the service. She came into our room and all of a sudden, I looked at Denise, and there were flashes of blue all over her legs. And I said, oh, my gosh, I never saw blue like that. I said, Denise, your legs, your, your legs are, are the glorious flashing all over your legs. As I said, from your knee down. She said, well, Pastor, after the service, it was all dark outside, and I fell. And I hurt my knee, and it's totally swollen. I said, sweetie, the Lord already knew about that because it, your, the glory was all over your legs. And she said today her legs were feeling so much better. Come on, saints. Come on, saints. I said, come on, saints. I said, come on, saints. That was a word of knowledge. I wouldn't have known that. God was just, just, just glory was so strong in the room from that rabbi's declaration that, you know, anything could have happened. Amen. So the glory was just there. It was so bright and beautiful and blue. It was all over her legs. Glory to God. Because Denise just was just still serving God, even though that was going on, you see. And so we see, beloved saints, that this is a word of knowledge. God wants to give us. He wants us to operate in knowledge we wouldn't have on our own. That's not something we would know. Hallelujah. It's something shown to us by the Holy Ghost from being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Somebody should shout the victory. Yeah. Hallelujah. And then we're going to see... The next one, hallelujah, looking at uh, verse 67, still in chapter one, we've already seen three instances 
of what happens when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist, Mary, and then we saw Elizabeth. Hallelujah. We're going to this next one, Zechariah. Notice in verse 67. Verse 67, this isn't a word of knowledge. This is an actual prophecy. Notice each one is a different miraculous manifestation. When it says filled with the Spirit or filled with the Holy Ghost, there are miraculous manifestations. When it says come upon you in power, then it is the Spirit of power and might that is coming on a person. Notice here again, we are seeing each time... Uh, each time Luke is telling us filled with the Holy Ghost, there's a different manifestation with it. That means a different gift of the Spirit is operating when they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing this, saints? Amen. Notice here, verse 67. Zechariah was what? Come on, Zechariah was what? He was filled with the Holy Ghost. Say this with me. Compared in context. Acts 2, 4. Okay, and what did he do? He was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied. Hallelujah. Say this with me. He was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied. Okay, go with me to, act, uh, go with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Luke 2, 25. He's, Luke's just teaching us about baptism in the Spirit. He is using his gospel as a preface. Say this with me. The preface to the book of Acts is Luke 1 through 4. Say it again. The preface, the introduction to the book of Acts is Luke 1 through 4. Say his prophetic agenda is to show us baptism in the Holy Ghost and Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. See, a lot of folk don't know man cannot baptize you in the Holy Ghost. They can baptize you in water, but they can't baptize you in the Holy Ghost. You can be baptized in water by man, of course. How else are you going to be baptized in water? So a human being needs to take their hands and dunk you. Okay? Just like we did in the River Jordan. That was awesome. An awesome experience a few months ago. In the River Jordan, people were getting dunked, and they were coming up, and they were getting prophecies when they were coming up. A whole staff of prophetic people. Can you imagine being in the River Jordan, coming up, and getting prophetic words from, from all, these, all these areas right there in the River Jordan with the sun at sunset shining on your face? That was glorious. That's why the cameraman who was from Israel who never knew, never heard about Jesus, only heard about Jesus from the context of the negative, was watching that baptism and he had to change cameras. He had to go, he had to step aside because he was weeping so much. And he, he accepted Yeshua as his Messiah right there. I said he accepted Yeshua as his Messiah right there. Are you hearing me? Hallelujah. 
The Bible says in verse 24, and behold, there was a man, hallelujah, verse 25 rather, there was a man in Jerusalem just and devout, now watch this, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and here's what we want, the end of the sentence, and what? The Holy Ghost was upon him. Didn't we just see the Holy Ghost will come upon you, Acts 1-8? Didn't we just re read that the, uh, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, Luke 1-35? Luke is building a thesis. The Holy Ghost was upon him. Now watch what is going to happen when the Holy Ghost comes upon him. Verse 26. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death till he'd seen the Lord's Christ. How many of you want to know why you're here? How many of you want to know what your ministry is? How many of you want to know why God put you where he put you, what your highest destiny is? You need the Holy Ghost. He's the only one who can tell you. Okay, it's not through an aptitude test that shows you where your gifts are. It's not through an aptitude test or somebody who's going to give you some kind of an analysis to tell you what kind of a personality you have. Because sometimes God uses the person that has no quality or ability to do what he calls them to do. And he chooses what the world would say is a real bad match for the job. I said, in the world standards, they'd say, why are you choosing that one? Why don't you choose this one? But the Holy Ghost knows why he's choosing. Hallelujah. Not many wise, not many noble, not many. Hallelujah. Uh, wise are called, the Bible says, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. Hallelujah. Now watch this. The Holy Ghost was upon him. Looking at verse 27, and the Bible says, and he came by the spirit into the temple. Oh, Luke, you're building a thesis here. He came by the spirit into the temple because in the next, he's going to show us Jesus in the river Jordan. And he's going to show us that the heavens are open. And he's going to show us in Luke 3, 22, he's going to show us the heavens are open and a voice is going to say, this is my beloved son and a dove is going to descend and identify Jesus. And then in Luke chapter four, verse one, he's going to see, he's going to teach us Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost. Ghost. Look at Luke 4 1. The Bible says he was full of the Holy Ghost, being returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What else does the Holy Ghost do when you're filled with the Spirit? You live a Spirit led life. I said you lead a spirit-led life. That means the Holy Ghost directs your steps. That means the Holy Ghost is going to set you up to be where you're supposed to be, and you're going to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. Notice Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Now we see this pattern, don't we? We saw it. We saw it all throughout Luke, didn't we? Now we're in Luke 4 and it's still happening. 
Now we see another miraculous manifestation. Zechariah shows us the miraculous manifestation of being filled with the Holy Ghost. You prophesy. Elizabeth shows us the miraculous manifestation. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you have word of knowledge. Now we're seeing Jesus filled with the Holy Ghost and you're led by the Spirit. Touch your neighbor and say miraculous manifestations of being baptized in the Spirit. Say it with me. A Spirit-led life. I'm not talking about just some kind of a revelation that happens at church. Church is when you get together and you just praise God and hear the word get fired up and go right back out again. But every day of your life, it's not normal not to be led by the Spirit. It's not normal not to have word of knowledge. It's not normal not to prophesy. It's not normal not to have the Spirit of God revealed to you. It's not normal not to be led by the Spirit when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. God wants you to live a supernatural life. Are you hearing this? Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from the Jordan and what? Was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, Jesus is being so yielded that he's even going to go to the wilderness. Any place the Spirit of God leads him, he'll go. Any place at all. This is why it was not customary in Jesus' day for any Jews to go through Samaria. That was a no-no. And we know all the places Jesus went were completely kosher. We don't have any evidence at all in the Bible. You can search it from Genesis to Revelation, especially in the New Testament. In other words, there's no prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures, nor is there any evidence in the New Testament that Jesus ever stepped foot into a non-kosher village to preach. N never happened. You don't see him preaching in Tiberias, but yet Tiberias is right there. You don't see him even preaching in Sepphoris. Sepphoris is three miles away from Nazareth, and Sepphoris was, it, it had a Torah academy. Jews lived there. Many devout Jews lived in Sepphoris. J uh, many persecuted Jews lived in Sepphoris that were brutalized by Herod the Great. They, fl they fled to Sepphoris, about three miles walk from Nazareth. But Sepphoris also had, in its architecture and in its, its whole entire, um, the whole entire uh, setup of the city of Sepphoris was one of Roman architecture and Greek Hellenistic influence. So you have, you have everything there that is Hellenistic and is Greek and is Roman, which to the Jews represent, represented pure paganism. Do y'all understand? So even though there's nothing wrong with Jews going to a city like that in Jesus' day, there was nothing wrong with it. The most devout Jews lived in Sepphoris. There was a Torah academy in Sepphoris. But to show you how ultra kosher Jesus was, he didn't preach there. There's no evidence. There's no evidence of him ever preaching in Tiberias. 
Tiberius was built by Herod the Great's son. He owned it. He owned the property. He was a very wealthy man. Herod, that took his father's place in the Galilee as the Tetrarch. He purchased Tiberius and made Tiberius, the name is after Caesar, Tiberius Caesar. And he made it a very Roman atmosphere and built it Roman style. Therefore, Roman gods are there. Never see, never see Jesus even preaching in Tiberias. Okay, this tells us volumes about Jesus. Okay, this tells us volumes about the kind of kosher Jew he was. Hello, somebody. Are, are you hearing this? The reason we want to know is because we want to clear up the mistaken identity. That's why we want to know. Okay, the reason we want to get this is we want to see our rabbi because we love him and he brought us Torah. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't even know Torah. So he gave us Torah. He brought Torah to not only to the Jews, but he brought the light of Torah to the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so... Uh, we, we need to see that being led by the spirit into the wilderness, this is, this is a powerful anointing of the spirit. Now, beloved saints, we're going to conclude with this. I want you to go with me to Acts 20. I'm going to show you something by the spirit of God in Acts 20. And I want you, if God leads us next week, we will go we will go into Paul's mission, but in the 22nd verse of Paul of Acts chapter 20, you are going to see three different miraculous manifestations of prophecy flowing through Paul all at the same time. As he is speaking to the Ephesian elders, notice the first thing he's going to say to these Ephesian elders. Now, the Ephesian elders, remember, Paul, this most likely is Paul's third missionary trip. After this scene here with the Ephesian elders, Paul's life is going to go into a total transition. There's going to be a riot that's going to take place in Jerusalem when he gets there. In, in, in uh, Jerusalem and in Caesarea, he's going to land there. He's going to go to Jerusalem for Pentecost, which he wanted to do. That's why he's meeting with the Ephesian elders, not in Ephesus, but in the island of Miletus, which is 35 miles off of the Aegean Sea area. So he can just meet with the leaders first and impart to them and then get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost for a celebration as a, as a very devout man of God. And when he gets to Jerusalem, his whole life is going to change. His last phase of ministry is going to begin. Okay. And he's going to spend two years in prison, in, uh, in, under arrest in Caesarea at his own will. The, the governor, the Roman governor is going to free him because he finds no fault and there's no, and finds out that he's a Roman citizen and he just frees him. But the Lord said, Paul, as you testified of me in Jerusalem, so will you testify of me in Rome. So of his own free will, he's going to stay under house arrest. 
because until he's until the the um, Roman ships arrive on the shores of of Caesarea to take prisoners back to Rome to testify to Caesar, political prisoners of all different sorts. So they're waiting for a Roman ship. It doesn't come for about two years. So Paul is under, he is under house arrest there in, in Caesarea of his own volition. Are you with me? All right. So he goes uh, after that on his, on his way to Rome, he is going to suffer shipwreck. And this is a very difficult thing because why he's going into the most powerful phase of his ministry and the devil doesn't want him to get to Rome. The devil is sends a Euroclidon his way and he endures this. And when he gets to Rome, he's under house arrest again, but it's not a, it's not a brutal type of arrest. It's, it's an arrest. He has freedom. People can come and visit him. People can bring him food. He can come and go in the house as he pleases. He can receive anybody into the home. There's a Roman guard assigned to his house and he rents it and he's able to live there under Roman guard. All right. He's there for about two years we don't have the evidence that he testified to Caesar. Some, some say he never did. Actually, if you look at the historical background of people, uh, Caesar was always uh, known for allowing anyone in the empire who's a Roman citizen to testify before him. But the evidence really is, is that he didn't hardly let anybody testify before him. And just only a few were, were able to testify. So we don't know if Paul really was able to th do that or not, but he was freed and he had two years left. Okay. He was freed in about 62 AD, freed from all of that. And for the last two years of his life, he started to move out into the Western part of the Roman empire, Spain and various areas of the Western part of the Roman empire where he was arrested in Nicopolis, which um, was off the coast of Crete, when Nero, the Roman emperor, caught the city of Rome on fire and burnt 14 districts of Rome and blamed the Christians. And Tactius, who is a Roman, um, a Roman scholar and Roman historian, writes that everyone in Rome knew that the Christians did not do it. But he blamed the Christians and started a brutal, nonstop execution of Christians. And this is why in 2 Timothy, Paul says that he definitely had a hearing. Because it says when, when he went for his hearing in 2 Timothy, that no man was with him. And he was delivered from the beasts. So this meant... This meant that his original sentence, he thought he was going to fight with wild beasts, but it must have been when they found out he was a Roman citizen, that he was not having to fight with beasts. Okay, why am I going through this? To tell you that this meeting with these Ephesian elders is absolutely critical because he's not going to see them anymore. And he's transitioning into a whole nother realm of ministry. His missionary journeys were one after another after he left 
Antioch, just one after another, five-year periods of mission journeys. Do you see this? And now God's changing everything. Because why? His ministry's graduated to be a prisoner writing prison epistles. That's where he ends. So his most powerful ministry is in Rome, in the prison, writing the epistles you're reading today. Hello, somebody. I said, did you hear it? It wasn't with multitudes. And it wasn't with child's, crowds cheering. It wasn't with people getting up out of their wheelchairs and walking anymore. It was in a cistern prison under the city of Rome in the sewer where human waste was chained to a wall like a heat box of sweat where other Christians and other political prisoners were also imprisoned for capital punishment. Where if somebody didn't bring you food, you didn't eat. Where there's barely any water waiting for his execution. Which was beheading because he was a Roman citizen. So he didn't die a gruesome death like the others. Do y'all see that? But in the prison, he writes the prison epistles. That's what his greatest ministry was, the legacy to leave the word of God for you and for me. Hallelujah. So do you think that when he met with the Ephesian elders, he was anointed at that time. When he's getting ready to transition into his most powerful part of ministry, you bet. Notice verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are going to befall me there. Notice when he says, I go bound in the spirit, it doesn't mean that he is saying, I'm going chained up. It means bound in the spirit. God has already showed me that I'm going, I'm bound because when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested. That, my friends, is a partial revelation from word of knowledge, and it is also perception, which are both properties of prophecy. See that? Notice he's not saying, thus saith the Lord, yet he is operating in the properties of prophecy right there. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, Save that in every city, the Holy Ghost witnesses to me that in every city, bonds and affliction await me. This is also prophecy. Prophecy by way of witness within. You have the witness of the Spirit within you that will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit, and that word witness means to confirm. That word witness means to charge. That word witness, so that means when the Holy Spirit witnesses something to you, he's confirming what God wants you to do. When the Holy Spirit gives you a witness, he's also charging you to do what he says. It means to confirm, it means to charge. 
Are you with me? Everybody here has got a witness of the spirit within you. You need to learn to follow it. The way the spirit witnesses to you is not the same way the spirit witnesses to me. It's a witness within. And he's saying the Holy Ghost witnesses that in every city bonds and affliction await me. Notice verse 27. Verse 27, he's going to say, and uh, going back up, I'm sorry, verse 25. Verse 25, he says, last line says, you're going to see my face no more. How's he going to know that? How does he know that to the Ephesian elders, this is the last time you're going to see me? I'll never see you again. This is goodbye. Because the Spirit of God revealed it. Are you with me? This is the kind of life God wants to give you. That you know when you're with somebody, you know what lies ahead. You know if there's going to be trouble. You know if you're going on a mission and that mission is blocked up or that mission is loosed. You know what, what needs to be prayed up and what doesn't need to be prayed up so much. And everything needs to be prayed, but there may be certain areas that need to be battled through. And you you're going to know that by the spirit of God within you. Thank you for joining us today on day of destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book secrets of the anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.